Don't you wish that life was a little more black and white? Like all the decisions you had to make were totally black and white, right? Like, oh, what job should I take? Should I work at this place that makes baby formula for children? Or should I work at this place that actively dumps toxic sludge into the drinking water of, of families? Hmm, which one should I work for, right? Don't you wish it was a little more black and white, uh, your decisions? Ah, oh, who should I marry? Should I marry this ugly, mean, poor atheist? Or should I marry this attractive, fun, glorious, beautiful, rich Christian, right? <laughs> right? Like, don't you wish that, that it was so simple? Like, in your parenting decisions, like, man, do, do, like, those of you who have kids, right, it's so hard to parent. You're like, how strong should I discipline? What should I do? What should I let go? Don't you wish that there was just like a parent your child well button? Boop! Be a bad parent button. Hmm. Right? Like, wouldn't that be easy? Oh, that's the right decision. But it's not like that. Right? You know, sometimes the kids, like, they need a harsher voice. Sometimes they need a gentle reminder. Sometimes they need understanding. I don't know when they need it. You don't know either. It's hard. It's really hard. Unfortunately, life is not black and white. Uh, most of our decisions, not all, but most of the decisions we have to make day to day tend to be murky grays. And that's where wisdom comes in. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge, of information. And the reality is, is I was actually looking through like history and, and thinking through major Western historical moments and wondering if there was ever a time where you could say this culture makes consistently wise choices. And I, I mean, I think there's times where it's better than worse, but, but what do you think about our, our culture right now? You know, do you, do you think uh, right now people in general make wise choices? See, that's the problem with me being a pastor here for almost 11 years. I've made you all cynical, just like me. Uh, no, that's not true. I mean, well, maybe it is. But, but you look around and you understand and you see and you're like, man, people are making a lot of bad choices, right? And then COVID hit, everyone's stressed out, so their choice bad making process just gets multiplied and amplified. Um, no, I don't, I don't think we're in a wise culture. But we need wisdom. We need wisdom for those very murky gray decisions that we have to make. How can we gain incredible wisdom? What do we have to do? What can we do to gain this kind of incredible wisdom? It's kind of under that backdrop why Solomon, the son of King David, wrote Proverbs. You know, his father was known as a great poet and musician. He wrote much of the Psalms. And I, I suspect Solomon was looking around like, all right, that's what dad did, you know? Right? Like, you know, you got Bob Dylan, really good uh, lyricist anyways. Um, maybe not so much on the vocals. Uh, but then, you know, then he's got a son, right? Is he, Jacob Dylan, as good as his dad as far as lyricist? No. So he's probably looking around going like, I don't want to do dad's thing. What can I do for me? Right? Oh, you know, he prayed that God would give him wisdom. And God said he would give him anything, including riches. And the one thing he asked for was wisdom. And I think Solomon's looking around saying, how can I help others to be wise? And so this is why the book of Proverbs was written. It says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, bless you. It doesn't say bless you in there. Uh, <laughs> it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings. Okay, so let's, let's get some definitions here. First of all, knowledge, which isn't mentioned in that text yet, but knowledge is like information. It's knowing stuff. So knowledge is knowing how to enrich uranium, okay? That is a piece of knowledge. Wisdom 
is the proper application of that knowledge. Okay, so wisdom is saying, okay, we can enrich this uranium and we could destroy our Canadian neighbors, or we could use that enriched uranium to power houses and to bring energy to people that's uh, cleaner and safer and, and more reliable. Okay, right, so wisdom would be the proper application of that. And then he mentions discipline. Discipline is now saying, okay, but we understand that this is volatile and it could hurt people. So what we need to do is we need to keep it under lock and key. And, uh, and we need to make sure if we ever weaponize it, we, uh, we will make sure that, uh, that it takes multiple people to make a crazy decision like that to take out Canada, right? That would be, that would be the knowledge and wisdom and discipline. Now, okay, so let's... Let's talk more realistically. Um, knowledge is knowing that how your heart works, right? And that your heart is very important and it pumps blood and it can get healthier or sicker depending on your lifestyle. Wisdom is saying, I'm going to take care of my heart. I'm going to eat well. And I'm going to exercise. No one's breaking eye contact. Good. Uh, okay, but here's the hard part. Discipline is, is actually going and doing it, right? That's the hard part. It's like, yeah, I know I've got to eat healthy. Yeah, I know I've got to exercise. <sighs> <Right>. <laughs> but healthy food doesn't taste as good as the unhealthy food. It's a fact of life that the calorie is actually the measure of flavor. <sighs> so what Solomon says is, he's writing this book for learning wisdom and discipline. So you know, not only properly apply the information you have, but you're able to implement it. You're able to execute that wisdom and do it for understanding insightful sayings. Um, so you think, let, let me give a few more examples about what, what wisdom is. Right now, we live in a time where there's so much technological development that we are not developing ethics fast enough uh, to, to account for all of the technological developments. We just simply are not. And, and not only that, but we as a culture don't really care to develop the ethics that fast. So as we're, we're, we're looking at this, let's use one example. One example would be electric cars, right? Now there's a lot of cons to electric cars, aren't they? I mean, they're expensive, right? As all get out, the batteries that they use require like special materials and minerals that are like pretty rare and, uh, and hard to come by. And do we want to deplete them for that reason? But on the positive side, right? They're incredibly clean. I don't know if any of you have ever lived somewhere where there's a lot of pollution. I remember we lived in LA for a long time. And I remember I go into San Fernando Valley one day, and I think it was like three in the afternoon. And all of a sudden it is black as night because of the wind and the smog had just been, right? It was so awful. I couldn't believe what happened. And I didn't even know it was pollution at first. I was thinking maybe Jesus was coming back and like, like, or, or a bomb had gone off. I don't know. It was crazy, right? But you know, the electric vehicles, they're a lot cleaner. Um, they're a lot cleaner. Uh, not only that, but uh, they're more powerful. An electric motor uh, is a lot more powerful than a gas uh, motor. And, uh, and not only that, but it's a lot safer to get into an accident with an electric vehicle, because usually if you have a head-on collision in a normal car, the thing that gets you is that big engine block that comes through and you know, causes all kinds of damage. Well, that doesn't happen in an electric car. And less moving parts, less maintenance, all that. But then again, you have the other side where you're like, yeah, but it's like $15,000 to replace the battery. And uh, are we depleting resources that are not terribly renewable? All of this, right? It's a wisdom call. If anyone is over here saying, well, I know the answer exactly. Eh, it's a wisdom call for individuals. It's a wisdom call for communities and culture. It's all wisdom calls. Or you think about the war in Ukraine, right? I think 
most of us can rightly say, like, look, uh, we need to support Ukraine. What Russia's doing to Ukraine is atrocious and, and, and morally just despicable, right? So then the, answer, the, the question is, how do we support them, right? And do we do nothing? No. Do, do, we, do we just send them humanitarian aid, food and water and, and shelter? No. Or yes, I don't know. Or do we send them weapons so that they can defend themselves? I mean, that's what we're doing right now. Okay. Or is that not enough? And we're saying, well, maybe we need to send in troops. Maybe. But then what's the, what's the negative side of sending in troops? Well, now we've escalated this thing and we've actually made World War III and that might happen, that might not. Now, you know, talking about nuclear weapons, uh, now, now the Russians might use their, their weapons against us. Oh my goodness, it's a wisdom call. And, and by the way, none of us are in a place to fully make those decisions because we don't have all the information because we don't have the clearance for it. Unless one of you has a secret life that I'm not aware of, in which case don't raise your hand right now. <laughs> a spy just out of themselves, right? But none of us, we don't have all the information so we can't make it. But it's a huge wisdom call. So why? We need to pray for our, our leaders. But we need this kind of wisdom in any situation you find yourselves in. How can we become incredibly wise individuals? Like Solomon says. These are not easy answers. And if they are easy answers, it means we're not utilizing wisdom in order to answer them. Verse 3. Why else did he write this? He says, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. Okay, so righteousness is right living before God. Uh, how to have a right life with God and my relationship with Him. Justice is seeking out the good for the other individual. Making sure that good things are happening to them. And if people are being victimized or abused, uh, we who see that happening, help them put a stop to it and help bring perpetrators to justice, help make sure that they have the consequences that they need or that they're stopped from doing that again. Integrity is your personal life. Uh, it, it is uh, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It is are you honest, are you truthful, are you being the person you present yourself as? Uh, so let's look at examples of this. So, so uh, righteousness, right? Why do you need wisdom for this? Well, I mean, think about if, uh, if you had like um, uh, a daughter who's in high school and she is like a soccer star. So much so, it's like if she's on the, the, like the whole strategy of the team is get the soccer ball to Sally, right? That's the whole strategy. All you got to get the ball to Sally, right? And then they're going to win and they win and they never, never lose. And she's so good. The school is saying, look, she can, she can get a scholarship anywhere. Like that's how good she is. Like, oh, cool. You know, but the unfortunate downside is about half of your Sundays are taken up with sports. Right? So half, half of the time to gather with the saints, half of the time to experience God's presence as God's people gather, is missing out. Hmm. So we don't do soccer so that we can know God, right? Because God is far better than soccer. Amen? Amen. We're Americans. I didn't say football. I didn't say baseball. Right? So there's no hesitation amongst you. Right? He still is better than all those things, but there still was no thought process. You're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> no problem. Right? But on the other hand, you could say, well, we could do alternative things, right? Maybe we can find a church with midweek service, right? Maybe, maybe, we can, uh, maybe we have a church with an evening service. Maybe we can watch the simulcast later on after the day. Because this is a good, good opportunity. And imagine the, the influence for Christ she could have if she, she uses her gifts. It's not an easy call. It's a wisdom call. He teaches us about justice. So imagine uh, you find, uh, you know, you, you know someone, she, uh, she's in an apartment complex, 
and the, uh, the landlord's you know, borderline abusive, just enough to not be illegal kind of thing. He curses at all the kids in the complex. He harasses the women who are there and makes snide, lewd, disgusting comments. And one day, this young woman, she has a camera set up in her house. She finds the landlord illegally entered into her apartment. Ha ha, now she has him. So she confronts him with it. Now we've got you. I can take you to court and we can stop this behavior of yours. And he says, okay, I understand. Look, if you just drop it, I will lower your rent by $500 a month. Right? Wisdom calls. We've got to be trained in justice. That $500, would anyone else like to have an extra $500 a month in their pocket right now? I mean, that's at least one's trip to the grocery store. <laughs> and then he said integrity. Uh, this one's personal. Like, I... I um, I remember years ago, I was probably 18 or 19, um, our church was ministering to a family, and this uh, one teenage uh, young woman came up to me, and she confided for some reason that she was cutting herself. But she said, but you can't tell anyone anything. Promise you're not going to say anything to anyone. Now, where are you at? Right there, right? On the one hand, you're like, okay, well, I said I wasn't going to say anything to anyone, so if I tell someone, now I've lied and they can't trust me anymore and they might not tell me anything in the future. But on the other hand, if I don't say anything to anyone, right, they could continue to hurt themselves and hurt themselves in a real serious way. Wisdom call. By the way, I'll give you that one for free. Break your promise and get help. If it's going to injure themselves or somebody else, you always break the promise. That's not an integrity issue. But not everyone knows that. Not everyone feels that. And if you've ever been on that end of it, it is excruciating. I mean, I can say that now because I'm 40 years old. I could not say that back when I was 19. And I was still dumb enough to not to be able to go to people and say, hey, someone told me not to tell them something, but they're hurting themselves. What should I do? I didn't even have, like, I didn't even have that wisdom. Like to give a for instance and try to get some wisdom on that, right? It takes time to get wisdom. But how can we get wisdom? How can we get that kind of wisdom? Incredible wisdom. Wisdom beyond worldly means. Verse 4, Solomon says he's also teaching this for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. This doesn't mean it's just for men, this, <laughs> this text. For teaching shrewdness. You know what shrewdness is? Does that sound like a really positive trait? Like guys, like Chelsea. Where's Chelsea? I saw her a second ago. Yeah, there you are. You always move. You're never, it's like Chelsea, Chelsea is where's Waldo in the congregation. <laughs> Except she doesn't have like a convenient striped uh, red, red clothing on. But right, Chelsea, why, why do not, why don't we have like any songs about shrewdness? Right? They'll know we are Christians by our love, right? And Solomon says, I also want to teach you to be shrewd. Jesus himself said you should be shrewd. You should be shrewd, like, shrewd like, like serpents and gentle as doves. Right? But Jesus himself said we should have this shrewdness. So why don't we have any worship songs about shrewdness? How many worship songs about shrewdness have you come across? <laughs> Take the attention off me, please. Stop. Right? Yeah, you've never looked. No one's ever seen that. They will know we are Christians because we're shrewd. <laughs> it's, not, it's not something that we normally have, but he says, I want to teach you to be shrewd. Okay, what's shrewdness? Shrewdness, I think, the best way to understand it is clever awareness. We live in a fallen world. 
with evil people trying to do evil things to us. And if you kind of go into life whistling your way like, everyone's good and everyone's fine, right? You are going to get taken advantage of. You are going to get hurt. You are going to be damaged, right? Because there are evil people who want to do evil things and want to take advantage of you. So he says, I want to teach you. Like, yes, you need to be holy. Yes, you need to be good. But you also need to be shrewd and realize that people will take your holiness as a sign of weakness and try and take advantage of you. So don't be gullible. Don't do it. Uh, a good example of this, oh my goodness, this is real life. I, I was talking to a lieutenant at the Grand Traverse County Police Department, and we were talking about scams. Uh, you know, and te it tends to be you know, people that get scammed over the phone or the internet. And he was telling me, this happened here. I think it made the paper. There's this one woman, she got a phone call from the scammers, and they said, hey, I am your son. Didn't give the name, so that should have been a red flag right there. I am your son, and I am in prison, and unless you give me $10,000, or unless you give these people $10,000 in gift cards, uh, they're, they're going to leave me in prison here forever. Oh, no. So fortunately, her daughter found out what was going on as she's driving down to downtown to go get gift cards to send to these scammers and is like, no, your son's fine. He's here. Wouldn't listen. She called the police. The police intercepted her at Dollar Tree, had her son, her one and only son, on the phone saying, mom, I'm okay. Put it on speakerphone. Mom, I'm okay. It's fine. This is scammers. They're not doing it. She still went into Dollar Tree and bought thousands of dollars in gift cards and sent them to the scammers. And here's Solomon saying, you have to be shrewd. Clever awareness. So you don't get taken advantage of. I hate to tell stories like this because I don't like it when other people do it, but I'm going to tell it anyways because it's a good example. It's the only one I could think of. And Sunday comes every three days for pastors. In our old location, also I'm going to tell you this story and you're like, hmm, I don't know. Some of you are going to judge me and that's okay. Uh, <laughs> one of my, um, when we were in our old location, we had a landlord. And the landlord was, I'll be as gracious as possible, very difficult to deal with. Um, and there was a point where we were trying to renegotiate extending our lease with him. And we had a trustee team. And so multiple ones of us would often have conversations with him. And pretty shortly into these conversations, as he's talking to different people, it, I realized that he was, he was absolutely trying to divide us and just make us fight amongst ourselves. Because he was telling one group of people one information. He was telling another person something else. And he was trying to get us to like do this so that he could just kind of waltz in and you know I don't I don't know what his end game was I really don't know but he was definitely telling people so we made the modus operandi whenever you have a conversation with him as soon as you are done you record everything and send it to the team right so we're all on the same page we all know the thing and so whenever I'd get an email or I would have a conversation write it down send it out to the group print it off and I'd put it into a file folder in my desk. So he had told one member of the trustee team that we could stay at the location at basically triple the rent that we were paying, right? Whew. Comes into my office a few days later, and he says, so what do you guys think you're going to do? I was like, well, I don't see how we could possibly afford being here at triple rent. That's the, and he's like, what do you mean triple rent? I'm like, well, so-and-so said you know, that, that you said it was going to be triple rent. He's like, that's insane. I would never say that. What's he trying to do with you? Right? And he started like trying to, so I think he's against you. I think he's trying to undermine your leadership and all this stuff. And I was like, okay. So I open up the file folder. And here, here's the thing. The folder I had, you know, it was like this thick, but it was inside a larger folder that had all of that property's information. So instead of pulling in the little file folder, I grabbed the full thing 
And I said to him, I'm like, look, you know what? I've instructed every member of this trustee team when we have a conversation with you to send everything that you said so that we all know what you're saying. And so I pulled the big thing out, boom, on my desk. Ba -boom, ba -boom, ba -boom. That is not what you told him. That is not what you're telling me. It's not what you told this other person. Why are you lying to me? And he got scared. Like he's like, like the, the, the prop of that thing was like, oh my gosh, is that everywhere I've ever spoken in my entire life? <laughs> I mean, it was in there, right? It was in there. <laughs> the little, you know, but he just got quiet and he stood up and he walked out and he stopped trying to deceive us and set us against each other. That's shrewdness. And I know some of you are like, mm, I don't know if that was a, whatever, that's shrewdness. And Solomon, he's writing this. How can we gain incredible wisdom? How can we do it? Verse 5, he says, Let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. Right? He says that riddles, because if you're not wise, when wise people talk, sometimes they don't understand what the other person is saying if you're a foolish person. Um, but he says, let a wise person, so he's not saying like, hey, this is just for young people. Let a wise person listen and increase learning. And let a discerning person obtain guidance. Why? Because we always have to be growing. We also always have to have a teachable spirit. I, I've often said to people uh, in ministry context usually, like, I can't work with that person because they are not teachable. Actually, I usually will be more obnoxious. Like, I won't work with that person. They're like, oh, come on, you're being difficult. It's like, no, actually, I can't. It's impossible to work with someone who's not teachable. Have you ever tried to work with someone who's not teachable, who always has the right answers, even if they're horrible answers? Right? It, it, it's not possible to work with them. It, it, it's not. And so Solomon's saying, you need to have this, 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 um, this teachability. And basically, I think, I, I heard this on a podcast recently um, that by uh, Tim Hartford. He was saying that curiosity is essentially humility. And then I took it a step further and I'm like, and humility is teachability, right? Because think about it, right? People who are curious, like they're like, oh, I don't know anything about that. Tell me more. Instead of like pretending like, oh yeah, I know everything about, like, yeah, no, I, I have no clue. Tell me, I, well, I don't watch that sport. Tell me more, right? People who are curious are humble and people who are humble are teachable. And when you're teachable, you always want to grow, right? If you ever come across a person who thinks that they've arrived and they know everything, and it's easy to do the older you get because the older we get, we tend to go into our lanes, we get into our ruts, and it's like, oh man, I, I'm the best engineer. I'm, I'm the best woodworker. I'm the best welder. I know the most about technology, right? And so the more knowledge we get and, and we know most of the answers for everything, so we make that fallacy because I know a lot, I know everything. And then we become arrogant and we're not workable and we can't work with anyone because we have all the right answers about this one small thing, so that must mean I have all the right answers about everything. And it's easy to do. And guys, man, as a pastor, it's so easy for me to do, especially, like that's one of the downsides with working for, with Crosstalk because I'm over here, right? And I'm working with, with students and they're like, well, I think it says this. And I'm like, oh, no, it says this. And, like, and I try and show graciously and they're like, wow, oh, oh, you're so right, whoa, right? And, and so I can just be like, yep, I know how this all works. And uh, feel free to call me Saturday night and go over your sermon and fix the whole thing for you. You know, right? It's easy to do that. It's really easy. It's easy to, to jump into that. And as I've now, I mean, I've been, do, I've been preaching at least or teaching to some capacity for 22 years. 
And so it's easy for me to say, I've arrived. There is no preacher greater than me. But the reality is, it's not. I need to be teachable. It's so hard. How can you keep that teachability, which is part of wisdom? How can you keep that teachability? The older you get and the further you go, when you're kids, you know that you're dumb and you don't know anything. Right? So they're constantly asking questions. Questions which you're like, well, I've never even thought about that question before. Okay. But how do you keep that as you get older and you think you know everything? How can we gain incredible wisdom? Well, Solomon gives us the answer here in verse 7. He says, the fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the one true God is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. I know, see? (laughs) That was an amen. That's how I'm going to interpret that. Uh, So he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is so weird. right? (laughs) See, I encourage the behavior. Uh, (laughs) It's my just desserts. But, but the, it says the beginning of knowledge. Now, see, here's, here's the interesting thing, right? Like, I would think that he would have said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the proper application of knowledge, right? Just knowing things, yeah, whatever, that's vanilla. Anyone can know things, but how to properly use them? Well, you need God for that. That's true, but he says the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of gaining information, of facts and figures, that's that's how we start to have incredible wisdom. It starts with knowledge. And he says this too, which I know is really weird for us. He says the fear of the Lord. Well, what does that word fear mean? Does it mean we're, we're totally scared and terrified whenever he, he shows up? What, is, what does the fear of the Lord mean? And I wanted to use a different word when I gave you the big idea. How can we have incredible wisdom? It's by fearing the Lord in all our pursuits. You're like, okay, but what does that mean? I wanted to use a different word, but you know what I found after spending way too much time? I can't use a different word. Let me give you a metaphor. Um, Cars. Well, most of us came in a car, except for one person. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we drive cars, right? And cars are dangerous. In fact, cars arguably are probably the most dangerous thing most of us own. Like even that, that they way more dangerous statistically than any of your, your uh, firearms that you have. Our cars are incredibly, incredibly dangerous. I mean, if you're not paying attention, you can hurt yourself. You can hurt someone in another car. You can hurt someone uh, in your own car. You could possibly kill yourself. You could uh, plow over pedestrians real easy. It is a really dangerous tool. In fact, you know when teenagers become drivers. I mean, everyone jokes about how scary and terrifying it it is because not all, but many teenagers don't realize because they're just so used to this tool and device how dangerous the car is. And that's why many, many states put on, put on rules. They're like, you can't listen to the radio. You're not allowed to have friends in the car. You have a curfew, right? Because they understand how dangerous this tool is. And we've all unfortunately known teenagers who have not fully respected the danger of the vehicle and got into an accident, got hurt, or, or even killed themselves or somebody else. I'm not saying every teenager gets into an accident, but we know people who've just been like, oh, whatever, and they hurt themselves or they hurt others. So cars are awful and horrible and we should ban all cars, right? No, of course not. Cars are dangerous, but they're also incredibly useful, aren't they? 
And you can do good things with them. I mean, you can come to church, uh, you can go grocery shopping, uh, all, all kinds of things. They move goods and services. I think that's a little bit of an image of what fear of God is. You have to have fear of the automobile. It is not a, oh, a car, oh, what's it doing out there? It, it, is, it is saying, okay, this tool is dangerous. But it's also good if used in the right way. This tool is dangerous. So you have this kind of, this kind of reverence. You have this kind of uh, protectiveness of it. You have a mindfulness of it. But you also realize it's good. Fear of God is the same. God is dangerous. Jesus said he can cast people, body, souls into hell. God is dangerous. He is all-powerful. Uh, he doesn't have, like, if he moves, the whole universe shakes. At his word, everything came into existence. At another word, everything could be blinked out of existence. He doesn't have to mount an army. All he has to do is whisper a word, stop, and it could all just end in a blink. He's dangerous, but he's also good. And he's also very good for those who know how to have a right relationship with him. So that perfect love casts out that fear where we understand there is, there is reverential awe that we have for him because he's so dangerous and scary and so much different than us and we will never be like him. And he's so powerful. But then we also on the other side of it realize he is good and he loves us and he's given us a way to have a proper relationship with him and the way to have a proper relationship with him is to repent of your sins, trust in Jesus, Believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. And as Christians, we know, continue to have that proper relationship. Follow the commands of Jesus. That's what it means to have fear. This reverential awe where you know He is dangerous, but He is also good and I belong to Him because I know the Lord Jesus Christ and I will follow His statutes all the day of my life. He's fearful, but He's good. And Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How can we, or of knowledge, excuse me. And he starts this off though. He says, how can we have wisdom? This is for learning, in, uh, for, wis for learning wisdom. This book is for learning wisdom. How can we gain this incredible wisdom? How can we pro properly identify it all? He says you gain, the first step is by fearing God in all your pursuits. Whatever you do in your dating life, in your marriage, in your uh, studies, whether you're studying math, whether you're studying science, whether you're studying biology, you, you begin all of your pursuits. Whether you're going to the grocery store, whether you're beginning uh, assembling a, a crib like I did yesterday. I was looking at the, the manual and I thought, oh, right, it's, a, it's an instruction manual. You know, and the first step was not fear the Lord. <laughs> but Solomon's saying, it sounds crazy, it sounds silly, but you need to start with fear of the Lord. You need to start with a healthy respect for God and know who He is and know that He's dangerous, but also know that He's good and that you belong to Him in Christ Jesus. I mean, obviously Solomon would have been belonged to Him because you're part of the covenant people in Israel and you put your trust in Him. Same thing though, they, they were saved in the same way. Put your faith in Christ. So some of you are like, okay, wait a minute. How does this apply to like, you know, math or science? Like knowledge is just gathering knowledge. But here's the thing. When you start all of your pursuits with fear of Jesus, with fear of the Lord, 
acknowledging his danger, but also acknowledging his goodness and that you belong to him in Christ Jesus. When you start those, it gives you context for what you are doing. It gives you context. For example, right? my wife and I oftentimes make dinner together. And I used to hate it. She's like, hey, can you help me with dinner? I hate it, hate it. Now I love it, right? Because it's like the one and only, not legitimate, but it's one of the only times I can tell the kids, we're making dinner. Would you like to help? No, no, no. And I get time with my wife. It's fantastic, right? But if my wife says, hey, cut the potatoes, right? Okay. That's knowledge. It's a task, you know, whatever. What am I missing? Context. How do you want them? Cut. Right? Cut the potatoes. That's the information. Okay, I gotta cut the potatoes. Okay, are we making home fries? Are we making, and if we are making home fries, how thin of home fries do you want? What shape do you want the home fries? Are we making hash browns? I don't know. Are we making mashed potatoes? And if we're making mashed potatoes, do you want it with all the skin off, some of the skin off, or all the skin on there, right? What do you want, right? Like the context is totally gone. That's, that's I think, what Solomon is saying here. The beginning of the pursuit of wisdom, it has to start with the fear of the Lord when you go into any of your pursuits, any, any knowledge-based system, right? And think about it with science, right? You might say, well, I don't understand. You can just gather information. But, but you realize that modern-day science grew because of monotheism, because we began with a presupposition that the pagans didn't have. The pagans, they believed that the gods could pretty much do whatever they wanted, and they could mess with you, and they could change physics like that because they're like, Eh, we're the gods, we can do that, and we can mess with human beings. But monotheists, and Christians in, uh, specifically, they understood, no, we have a, a God of order, not a God of chaos. We have a God who, who set in certain laws and properties of motion around this universe, and so therefore, we can study trees. We can study the movement of the sun and the moon and the stars, and, and, and we can figure out what this God did and how he ordered this universe and this, this universe, this, we can know it. We can know it because we have a God of order, not a God of chaos. So you start with fear of the Lord, and then it moves into to the sciences. And you go, okay, how does fear of the Lord help you with math? I mean, math is math. It's the same thing with science. It's the language of the universe. It's a universal language. It is one of the, the most wonderful gifts God's given us because it is like absolutes. That I know there are people that are complaining that you know saying two plus two is equal four is like somehow misogynistic or something. I, I, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> mess around with their paychecks and then they'll come to their senses. <laughs> uh, right? Because it is an absolute truth that is incontrovertible. And it again is part of the, the network of how God in his wisdom created this universe. So if you want to have incredible wisdom, it starts with the fear of God. Know that God is dangerous, but also know that He loves you enough that He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for your sins, and whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. That He will save you, He will continue to save you, and He will save you in the future. That He will change you and transform you now, and He will change and transform you when King Jesus comes back. You can have incredible wisdom by fearing the Lord in all your pursuits. Like I said, this was incredible for me yesterday as I'm putting together this, this crib and, uh, and not in the best of attitudes, right? Did I have the best attitude? It wasn't the worst, but it wasn't the best. Um, and I looked at that and I kind of chuckled and I said, oh, this would, this would work for the message tomorrow. Maybe this should begin with fear of the Lord. Maybe I should acknowledge him and acknowledge all the good gifts he's brought in my life first.
It still took me a long time. <laughs> but the first step is fear. Let's pray. Father, by the acknowledgement of everyone in this congregation, uh, <laughs> we do not live in a wise culture. We live in a very foolish culture. We live in a culture that does not want to apply wisdom, as Solomon said in your word. Fools scoff at wisdom and discipline. They don't want to properly apply knowledge, and they certainly don't want to execute that wisdom. We know it, we feel it, we sense it. Help us as a church, as individuals, as a congregation, as a community, to make wise choices, to properly apply the knowledge that uh, we gain, to, 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 to go after all of our pursuits, beginning with that acknowledgement, God, that you are God and we are not. That you are so powerful and yet you are so loving at the same time. You could wipe us out with a word and yet you don't. You love us so much that you sent Jesus Christ. So I pray for us as a congregation that we will take this first step of wisdom. So in all of our pursuits, in all the knowledge we get, whether we are at home, in our leisure time, watching TV, reading the news, playing video games, playing board games, wrestling with the kids, in our work, in my, amongst our neighbors, in our schooling, that we begin all of those pursuits realizing that you, Father God, are God. And that you loved us enough to send Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we pray you'll give us the context of all that learning, the context of all that growth. Help us to apply everything wisely so that we can glorify you and make this world a better place and give people a glimpse of the kingdom of God through the good work we do, through the wisdom you give us. Father, we acknowledge you. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.